Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode four of All My Movies, and perhaps appropriately, today we are going to be talking about the fourth film in the Jaws franchise, Jaws the Revenge. And why are we doing this movie today? Well, like I said when we started the show, it's not just about doing the great movies. Sometimes you got to do the bad ones as well. As a matter of fact, when I was working and starting to plan the show out, I was having a conversation with Christian Harloff, and we were trying to decide which of the first movies we were going to do, and he mentioned Jaws, and I said, well... I mean, it feels like people are going to expect me to do Jaws. I've done Jaws so many times. I don't want people to get bored of it. We're already doing E.T. And then it came to me, let's do Jaws the Revenge. Because of all the Jaws sequels, this one is the worst. I think easily the worst movie uh, of all four of them. Come on. can't believe that voodoo. Sharks don't commit murder. They don't pick out a person. It picked out Sean. It killed your father. And this also gives me the chance to do something a little fun and a little different. Usually, I sit here and give you a bunch of information about the movie, and then either it's just me doing a deep dive, or I talk to a guest who is involved in the film. Today, I'm actually going to be doing a much deeper inspection of this movie with one of my friends, and you probably know who he is as well. He is my current faction mate, my former teammate, but most importantly, my friend, Mark Riley. Maybe the only other person I know who is as big of a Jaws fan as I am. So, we are going to dig down deep into this movie, it's almost scene by scene, and break it down, and also break down what we love and hate about it as Jaws fans, what we remember about when we first saw it. It's a really, really great just deep dive into this cinematic crap. Uh, so we're going to talk to Mark here in just a few minutes, but I did want to give you a few factoids about the movie and set up how we got to this point. Of course, Jaws at one time, the most successful film of all time, made a star out of Steven Spielberg, who went on to direct countless numbers of classics, including last week's film, E.T., and the sequels to Jaws never were able to, in my mind, even approximate how great the first film was. Jaws 2, which we will cover at some point later on in the show, just by design, I think is an average movie, that has the distinction of living in the shadow of a masterpiece. I don't hate Jaws 2. I think that it's the first movie, but distilled down to its base elements without anything that really made the first movie great. Jaws 3, also known as Jaws 3D, is ridiculous. It was made to make money, and it did make money. Jaws the Revenge is that extra kind of terrible that stems from an idea so bad that you can't comprehend how how anyone thought it was a good idea. And I actually found a great interview with the director of this film, Joseph Sargent, who's been asking himself that same question for a very long time, but he thinks he might have an answer. So we developed it on the basis of everybody being excited about the possibilities that a shark could, <laughs> could wreak vengeance for the killing of his cousins or whatever they were. <laughs> and... It's amazing when you make a choice artistically, despite whatever sophistication, whatever professionalism you've achieved by that time, you can fall into a sort of a romantic love affair with, with a notion that is so far out that it actually feels right or feels challenging, I guess. So we felt that way. We actually said, hey, this, this just might work. One of the interesting things about the Jaws sequels that I didn't really know until I was doing more research for the show is that despite the fact that none of them are critically acclaimed films, none of them are also really big box office disappointments. Jaws 2, which was made on a $30 million budget, made $200 million worldwide. Jaws 3, which was made on an $18 million budget, made $88 million worldwide. So even though the movies didn't even come close to the critical success of the first film, they were box office hits. And that's enough to get people to greenlight a fourth movie, right? But you may not know that the person behind greenlighting Jaws The Revenge was the same person who was responsible for sticking behind Steven Spielberg back in 1975, the head of MCA, Sid Sheinberg, who was so instrumental in launching Steven Spielberg's career, saw the money that was coming in from the Jaws sequels, saw that there was a bit of a dip in Universal's finances, and decided to greenlight a fourth Jaws film called Jaws The Revenge. But this time, it wasn't just personal. It was going to be done quicker than any Jaws movie had been done before. As a matter of fact, the movie was greenlit in September of 1980. 86 for a July of 1987 
release. So the whole movie from being greenlit to being released was done in less than a year, which is pretty insane when you consider the scale of what they were trying to do with this movie. As I mentioned, Joseph Sargent was hired to direct the film. He was also installed as a producer and to help come up with the idea for the movie. And multiple cast members from the first movie were approached to reprise their roles in the film and declined to do so. But eventually Lorraine Gary was tempted out of retirement to reprise her role as Ellen Brody, wife of Roy Scheider's character from the first two films, who is on a blood quest against the shark who now seems to be targeting her family after killing their youngest son, Sean. Don't worry, we're going to break down this movie in just a second. Lance Guest also joined the cast as Michael, the oldest Brody brother. Michael Caine joined the cast as Hoagie, a local pilot in the Bahamas where Michael has made his home. And Mario Van Peebles rounded out the cast as Jake, Michael's research partner, uh, who's a lot more interested in studying this crazy great white shark than the sea snails. And to be honest, I don't blame him. In in a world where the the shark was not on a blood quest against the Brody, I think that Michael Brody would be much more interested in the shark as well. Jaws was greenlit in September of 1986, and filming on Jaws began in early February of 1987. The movie came out in July of 1987. So filming on the movie began five months before it came out, which again is insane. That's crazy. That never happens. Nobody does that. Sid Sheinberg wanted that Jaws movie out for summer of 1987, and by God, That's what he got. The budget was about $23 million, and shooting took place in Martha's Vineyard, reprising the role of Amity from the first couple movies. It also took place on location in the Bahamas and on location at the Universal lot, including in the tank where you can see the waves hitting the back wall uh, of the uh, big water tank. Again, we'll get to that part. Don't worry about it. In addition to principal photography, there were also reshoots to the movie's ending, which took place after the first batch of audiences didn't like the way that the movie ended. As a matter of fact, there's one ending that people who saw it in 1987 saw, and there's another ending that most people who saw it later saw, and it has really created this branching reality that I'm going to talk to Mark Riley about because he saw it with the original ending, I saw it with the new ending. So in a way, we have two completely different experiences with Jaws the Revenge. We have a lot of fun digging into that. Regardless of the ending, Jaws was released theatrically on July 17th, 1987 and placed third behind a reissue of Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs from Disney and the opening weekend of RoboCop, which was number one. That's right, Jaws the Revenge and RoboCop opened on the same weekend and they both opened the week before another crap fest from the 1980s, Superman 4: The Quest for Peace, which which means that some poor sap sat through Jaws the Revenge and Superman 4 The Quest for Peace in theaters on back-to-back weekends. I hope that they got RoboCop in there at least too. I hope if you saw Jaws 4 and Superman 4 on back-to-back weeks that somewhere in there you also caught RoboCop because otherwise that is just a grim that's just a grim week theatrically. There's no two ways to cut it. Jaws the Revenge ultimately bottomed out around $30 million domestically, but it made about $30 million internationally, which means that even though it is maybe universally acknowledged as one of the worst movies ever made, it still wasn't a financial failure. None of the Jaws films have been financial failures, and yet this movie was so bad, it killed the franchise dead. It was a financially successful franchise that stopped making movies. That's bad. Needless to say, critics hated the movie, and as a matter of fact, you hear me talk about Roger Ebert and you're going to hear Siskel and Ebert again, that's because for me, film criticism was so tied to Roger Ebert and to Siskel and Ebert that they're almost synonymous with one another, but... Roger Ebert's review, written review for Jaws the Revenge, also has one of my favorite opening lines from an Ebert review. He wrote, Jaws the Revenge is not simply a bad movie, but also a stupid and incompetent one. He did not mince words on movies that he didn't like. The Golden Raspberries or Razzie Awards, which have been recognizing cinematic non-excellence for many decades, also bestowed seven nominations on Jaws the Revenge. However, it only won one of them. For worst visual effects, the film Leonard Part 6 took the trophy for worst film of 1987 at the Razzie Awards. I did not see Jaws the Revenge theatrically, as I mentioned before. I saw it for the first time on VHS, and this enters another family member because so many of my movie memories are tied to family members. I first rented Jaws the Revenge at my grandmother's house. 
not Nana, who took me to the video store in North Little Rock, but Meemaw, who lived in Hope. I first saw Jaws the Revenge at Meemaw's house, and when I was younger, and we're talking probably 10 or 11 or 12 years old, this was up there with as my like second favorite Jaws movie, because you saw the shark. Because you could see, you saw so much of the shark, and it was like, whoa, like you see the shark the whole time, that's awesome. It wasn't until you get a little bit older that your tastes get a little more discerning, and, and you realize that the shark looks like hot garbage in this movie. At the time, it was a pretty cool big shark. Maybe that's why it didn't do so terribly financially worldwide. There's just enough kids out there that liked just seeing the big shark. Uh, they didn't mind that the rest of the movie was atrocious but that is the first time i saw jaws the revenge and for a long time it lived on in my memory as my second favorite jaws movie over time uh, as i revisited the films i have come to appreciate the uh terribleness of jaws the revenge more and the not so terribleness of jaws 2 uh much more as well and so my preference on the jaws movies pretty much runs in release order jaws huge gap jaws 2 jaws 3 Jaws the Revenge because Jaws the Revenge a lot of times I mean it is definitely fun on a campy level but there's not quite enough of that there's a lot of dead space in this movie as well so uh, this was one that I knew that I really wanted to talk about and really wanted to do a lot of uh, in-depth discussion about with another Jaws fan so I decided to call up my friend Mark Riley to talk about this film to talk about his history with the movie and what we both love and hate about it here's our in-depth breakdown on Jaws the Revenge. I am here with my friend, my faction mate, my one-time teammate, so many things, but one of the things we bonded over the most, my fellow Jaws fan, Mr. Mark Riley. Mark, thanks for joining me on the podcast today. Oh, my pleasure, Dan. This, I mean, come on. It's Jaws the Revenge. We have to talk about this movie. Jaws the Revenge is not a great movie. It's not. It's not even a good movie. It's not a good movie either. (laughs) I would say it's a it's a it's a it's a very bad movie. It is a very bad movie. And so obviously, uh, I I will I will admit he said make a list of people you want to talk to. You have to joke. Number one was Michael Caine. Yeah, you have to. You have to do Michael Caine for because he's the big draw in Jaws the Revenge, I guess. Right. Well, I mean, obviously, for the fact that he's in this movie, he doesn't say no to a lot of things. So I thought that maybe I might stand a chance of getting him on the show. But. (laughs) <laughs> didn't happen but didn't you're happen. behind michael kane i will take that every day of the week 24 hours a day thank you uh to be considered among uh the greats like michael kane is uh is is something for me <laughs> so mark something that we always talk about on the show and that i talk about a lot is do you remember the first time you saw the movie that we're speaking of so jaws the revenge came out in 1987 right did you see this movie in the theaters did you see it later do you remember Yes, I have a, a great I did see it in the theaters. Um, and one of my favorite memories, it must have been probably 86 when the trailer came out or maybe earlier in 87. I can't remember. But the trailer comes out and it ends with the tagline. Jaws, the revenge. This time it's personal. And I went, yeah. And I heard everybody in the audience laugh like like no kid they were like yeah this is that that's a horrible tagline and now why is it personal it's a shark and so i looked at my mother who took me to the movie when whatever we were seeing and i went why are people laughing i am into this jaws the revenge dot 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 this time it's personal so uh i do remember seeing it then in the theater i think it was a uh, opening weekend i'm a jaws fan as you know and i walked out of that thing going boy that was even worse than jaws 3 that is that was a bad bad movie. I didn't understand it. I did. I really didn't. I was, uh, you know, I was pretty young at the at the time. So, but I I couldn't figure out why the jaw, why the shark had a, a vendetta against Brody's wife and uh, Ellen Brody. And I can't. And and it's still. I I still rewatch this uh, for you for this. And I still can't figure out why the Jaws had well, a, a vendetta. <laughs> you know, you're not the only one that couldn't figure this out because, you know, I'm always trying to find research and finding some interesting things. Uh, there were some very prominent voices in film criticism at the time who also couldn't figure this out. And let's uh, let's watch this clip and then we'll come back. In this movie, yeah. this shark wants revenge against the Brody family. You got it. Yes. OK. Now, in the first movie, what happened to the shark in the first movie? Dead. Blown to pieces, right? Yeah. What happened to the shark in the second movie? I know. Dead. 
Yeah, right. Uh -huh. What happened to the shark? They the all movie? die. They all die. So in that case, what shark is this? A friend of the other shark. Is this like a cousin, a nephew? You got it. A next door neighbor? And you know what's so great? What? You see, by having this gimmick, that means that even though this one dies, she still is going to stay living in that stupid town instead of moving to the Middle West where she should be, away <laughs> from sharks. <laughs> So that is from if you could ever see the full Siskel Niebert review of Jaws the Revenge, it is one of their best. But they were also quite confused about where the shark came from and why it had a specific vendetta against the Brody family. Yeah, it's it's one of those questions. And I've even heard it in in um, circles of like, you know, talking about the fourth movie in Jaws where it's like, yeah, I heard it was the first shark from the first movie coming back for revenge. And I went, no, that no, that shark possible. blew up. That's not, That's not yeah. Possible. So I love that Siskel and Ebert review because the, the the back and forth is like, so this shark doesn't know about this shark. You got it. It's like Jesus was like, you got it. You're on there. Yeah, it's just I guess the I guess the like the first shark, the second shark, the third shark finally sent a note to the fourth shark and went, the Brodies, we got to do something about them. It's time to take them all out. <laughs> Well, I was talking about the development of the movie earlier on and the director of this film, he gave a great interview and we saw a little piece of it uh, a minute ago. But uh, I also want to bring him on because he talks about the fact that like they really did think that they had a really great idea because Sid Sheinberg, who was the head of MCA and, and to his credit, we talked about him with E.T. We talked about him with Jaws. He was a key, an instrumental figure in getting Jaws made and supporting Steven Spielberg's career. He was right. very enthusiastic about this film. And so uh, this is the director of the film talking about uh, how it is that that uh, that that this this idea made it through. How do grown men with rather good credentials in terms of their training, in terms of their worldliness, their or what they would like to think of is that how do how do we get involved with something that idiotic it's and it still puzzles me <laughs> that is again that is another it's another great interview it's it that's an interview that was done with the television academy because he was a very story television director but if you again if you can find that interview and we'll try to put links down below uh he talks about the fact that like listen uh it was a dumb idea but they all thought it was great michael kane thought it was great and it wasn't until afterwards that they realized that it was really stupid it's just it, it happens <laughs> I, yeah, it's. I guess it does sound good on paper, um, but it, it it does have that B movie feel to it. At least the concept of it. But then they play it straight. They play <laughs> it straight, and that's where it falls apart because you can't. I you know, I love the legend of one of those Jaws movies that was um, right uh, National Lampoon's Jaws three, audience zero or something yeah. like that. It, and it was they were they were spoofing. The fact that the shark and they start to the shark starts to eat everybody in in the movie right and the the film crew that was right yeah. John Hughes I think did that and um, well it reminds me of the kind of like where they almost went with Men in Black which was that it was gonna be that Twenty One Jump Street crossover right and then they didn't do that but then what they did was so much less interesting and I feel like if they had done that with Jaws and gone the parody route it would have right. been well I don't know Jaws goes to Sea World is such a weird movie I almost wouldn't want to. What yeah. in a world will that doesn't exist? Exactly. See, Jaws 3 has a lot of redeeming things in it. And, the, and one of them is SeaWorld. And the, it is like, it is a perfect, I think, guilty movie pleasure B movie that knows it's a B movie. It puts itself in SeaWorld. It's like, it's got Dennis Quaid and Louis Gossett Jr. And, they're, and it, there's some great scenes in there too of, of like shark action. Our shark couldn't have killed Overman. Its mother did. When you get to the revenge and you're playing this idea, it 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 immediately it goes off the rails. And I thought the opening was decent, you know, enough. You know, I liked seeing Amity Island during Christmas and seeing it, you know, how different it can be and, and how Sean is taking over the family line. That was all you know, interesting, playing it totally straight, different vibe, more along the lines of Jaws 2. And in the original, obviously, but, you know, and not that weirdness of three. And that's why I think revenge does not work because it takes itself way too seriously.
Well, let's do a blow by blow here. Let's do a yeah. post mortem because this is a this is a this is a new format here for the show. Because you know, I've done it. I've done these things by myself, and then we've done the ones where I'm talking to some folks that are involved in the movie. But this is a this is a fan to fan chat here. Yeah. So let, yeah. Riley, let's break down this movie beat okay. by beat. Let's see where 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 it all went wrong beyond just from the beginning. And by the way, and I want to look at this here. The marketing for this film, first of all, I don't think the tagline this time it's personal is that stupid unless you realize that you are applying it to a shark. But I will stand by the fact that the poster for this movie is really good. Yeah. So I, I agree. You had marketing. You had you had okay marketing. It was really the execution on this thing. So as you mentioned, we opened the movie in Amity. It's Christmas. Uh, but we we have a very long POV sequence. They're obviously trying to harken back to the original film where the shark is swimming around in what appears to be about three feet of water. Um, this was the entire strategy to kill the shark in the first film, which was to draw him into the shallows. Here, he's just, I just imagine like you can see his nose and like the whole top of his body because there's no way he's submerged in that little amount of water. No, no. And, and Amity in general has also gone down the hill a lot of stuff under the water that is just why are we focused on like cement pillars with like just flotsam and jets i mean just yeah. so much stuff it's just crazy to harken back to the original like as you're as you're referencing yeah that's what it sh- should have been so like the sound it had the music it, it was tr- trying to play never went into the full adventure orca theme which thankfully and you know no orca but had the music yeah. somewhat uh yeah th- i didn't understand it it was really not and it wasn't particularly well shot either. No. So we have Sean, the police chief Brody's son, Martin Brody's son, who uh, apparently Roy Scheider refused to come back for this movie because they were just going to kill him. That was going to be Chief Brody. It was going to be Chief yes, Brody. And he said no, smartly. But we did get him. We got that nice little cameo, that perfect shot of Roy Scheider's picture hanging yes. over the, the mantle in the police station. Which, sorry, other police chiefs. There's only one that you they remember, and that's uh, Chief Brody. <laughs> so we have Sean, the new chief of police, perhaps, because as, as Mrs. Brody says, uh, Chief Brody died of a heart attack. She believes out of fear of the shark coming back. Dad died from a heart attack. He died from fear. The fear of it killed him. Mom, 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 mom. The greatest throwaway okay. line, I think, of all time. Shark killed him. No, he didn't. Well, he kind of did. <laughs> yeah. Whatever. He was on land. <laughs> Plumber, man. Yeah. Um, it was the land shark version. Land shark. So this is, my, this is where my first big question about this film comes. So there's a piece of wood that's trapped on a dinghy, apparently. Yeah. And and Sean has to go out as the chief of police because the Coast Guard is busy. It's the Enterprise problem. All the other ships in the sector are out of range. Coast Guard's busy and has to be cleared before the fishermen come back. Right. Sean has to go and free this piece of wood and he's eaten by the shark. <laughs> this is my first question, Mark. Do you think that this was a crime of opportunity by the shark? Or was this a trap? <laughs> That the shark laid for Sean uh, Brody in order to begin his blood quest. I'm so glad you asked me this, Dan. Let's go into the uh, the evidence at hand, right? The tagline, this time it's personal. Um, the randomness of the driftwood or whatever it was and the shot of it underneath whatever it is. It's like a giant shark literally stepped up out of the water and propped it under the, the thing. And then, and then let it, okay, that'll work. And then laid it out like it was the the cartoon cardboard box. It was a trap. Okay, sprung so by the shark. I tend to agree. So so <laughs> in this in our in our reading of this film, the shark is not just psychic. We're no. talking full sentience here. Yep, methodical. He's planned this. I mean, if this was a murder, this was premeditated. This was all yes. the all the all the bells and whistle. This shark knew what was going on. Yeah. So Sean Brody is eaten by the shark. His body is brought to the morgue, which is apparently in the break room of the police station because they just opened the door and it's the rest of the police station. Uh, I guess there's been some budget cuts at Amity. What two summer seasons uh, eaten up by a shark? I guess they had to make some budget cuts. Yeah, I guess so. We have, uh, we have, okay, now this is, uh, this I think is cool. Okay. Maybe the only thing that's cool about this movie. (laughs) Michael Brody, who's now a marine biologist studying sea snails, rushes home to be with his mother. When he gets there, you have characters from Mrs. Kentner is there. That's the first time I noticed that. Did you know that? that really? On this rewatch, I went, 
It's Mrs. Kintner. Oh yeah. my, there ties it all together. But I've always thought that that was cool because that is, that's what would happen in a community that small. Like, yeah, that's, that's the one you're right, dude. That's the one time where I went, okay, that would make sense. And you have Mike Brody's little girl asking questions to the family. And there was one though, that made me think it was like, she asked something to Mrs. Kintner about Sean or something coming back. I know I'm like, she knows, she knows yeah. what it's like. Uncle Sean is dead. You know, will he ever come back? It's it's that kind of stuff in this movie that's just so weird. And and mind you, too, the way it was shot, Sean's death, poor Sean. You know, the way it was shot, we never really see the shark. It's just, and it's like, man, it's powerful. That shark literally takes a bite out of the side of the boat. So even right. with him in the, the boat, he's not safe. And you just got a bunch of flashes, and then he's in the water, and it's done. So, right. you know. Well, we see he, he loses the arm, and then he's, loses he's the gone. arm. That's right. He's gone, and some some pieces of him somewhere wash up so they can get taken to the break room. Right. So uh, so we have Lorraine Gary coming back as she Ellen back. Brody. She is, I think she came out of like retirement to do this because, well, yeah. it, it, Sid Shine, she was married to Sid Scheinberg who wanted to make another Jaws movie. So I'm sure it was, you know, fairly easy to find an actor who might want to come back. She's not, she's not bad in this it's movie. Not bad. When it killed Sean, I knew with absolute certainty it had come for him. I knew that. I know it's coming. She's not bad. She's got to work with it. I mean, she's got to work with the idea. And unfortunately for her and the screenwriting, it never connects to the bigger story of why is this shark going after her and how she feels it? Because there's this moment where she steps in the water and it's like they're psychologically connected or psychically connected. She's like, <gasps> I was going to bring I, this I, up later, but yes, it appears yeah, in this film that not only is the shark psychic or sentient as it may be, Mrs. Brody also <laughs> psychic shares some kind of connection with the shark because that when the shark shows up she's at the junkanoo with uh with hoagie who we'll get to in a second mm -hmm. and and she senses it they're they're linked to each other there's some yeah, kind of telepathic tele telepathically yeah they are telepathically linked to one another in this film so we are full on into the realm of the supernatural here yes yes and and I, I believe it wasn't there some drafts of, of this thing where it was like a voodoo curse at one point where the shark was being controlled by a voodoo curse thingy and they decided to jettison that and go with what we what we have here. So, I mean, it would it would make more sense than what we got. So right. I, I'm not I'm not entirely shocked by that. No, um, right. I, I could see that being a thing. It's it's ridiculous. It's it's, it's, it's wholly ridiculous. It's only ridiculous, and it and it begs the question. Then there must be other sharks in the shark family that are telepathically linked to the Brody family. So this is we could have gotten a Jaws five, and uh, you know, and Jaws six, maybe put Jaws in space. You know, yeah. we could do this. We could you get know? up to Jaws nineteen if we so desired. We can. We should. Universal um, wants it. I know. But it was supposed to come out in two thousand fifteen, <laughs> though. So I can. You know, right. Yeah, we, we missed, we that missed one. it already. Uh, so <laughs> we have uh, we have a very short mourning period for Sean. Okay. Michael, his brother, grieves by running down the beach. Hey, where are you going? Nowhere! And so then they they decide to go to the Bahamas, where Michael lives. Right. So this Get now out. begs the second question. Right. If, if we're going that the psychic route, then the shark is somehow drawn to them uh, telepathically. Right. But if the shark is sentient, then I guess it begs the question... Was the shark hovering in ear range, listening to their plans? And is that how he knew to go to the Bahamas? Why don't you come down to the island with us? I, I can't do that. Come on, come on, Mom. No, Get out no, of this cold, no. spend time with Thea. Yeah! I mean, I think it's a little bit of column A and a little bit of column B. Is that, you know, senses Ellen Brody? Like, oh, disturbance in the forest. She's, she's deciding to move. And then... I picture the shark going, you know what? I I better get a little closer because they were on the ferry at that one point. And yes. I did, Dan, I did think that this shark was swimming somewhere because it knew. It, it knew. knew. So it was probably hanging out underneath. But then I thought, you know, this shark's very powerful, too. Took a bite out of Sean Brody's boat. All the Brodies were right there. This shark really missed an opportunity. They were all right there on the all ferry. All on the ferry. It could have been a sneak attack. Boom. Take them all out. Generation. Three generations of them. Three generations. So the, the shark in the next one needs to plan a little bit better. They need like an R2 droid or something to map it all out for them. The other thing that we didn't see, though, 
is it possible that it was a Cape Fear situation where like the plane took off and the shark was hanging under <laughs> underneath it? <laughs> I would say yes, and I like that. But we are treated to a scene with the shark swimming south. I that's guess. true. It is swimming south. Yes, that's true. <laughs> we do get a nice transitory picture as it like yeah migrates its way uh, down it's just like oh i'm gonna yes I'm how did there. the shark get this much worse in 12 years of technological advancement because yeah. every time they show it, it yeah a look on its face like this and then <laughs> it, it moves like that that's the only way the shark can move we'll uh, get to some of the great shots uh as we get <laughs> deeper into the movie but there yeah. was one where it's like you see it and there's like a crease that I think was yes. being held together by duct tape. Duct tape. And, and it just kind of went by. And I was like, eh, you know. Oh, okay. I'm going to try to keep us somewhat focused. Sure. Because there's so much to talk to. Uh, but the duct tape shark was in my notes. Okay. Uh, so, yes. So they go to the Bahamas to celebrate. And this, uh, Mara had this question to celebrate Christmas. I said no, because it's not Christmas the entire time. But is this a Christmas movie? Uh, I, I will say that uh, Mara and Julie, as you know, do tend to uh, agree sometimes. Julie uh-huh. said the very same thing, that this is a Christmas movie now because okay. it's set in Christmas. Okay. You know, okay. I can't argue with, with logic or facts, but it is set in Christmas. It begs the question, if you take Christmas out of it, mm-hmm. would this story ha- – uh, it's not a Christmas movie. Yeah, yeah. This would ha- yeah. still happen. I would, I would argue that this – you could set this in Halloween – and the shark would still show up. I, I like calling it a Christmas movie because you got to call Jaws of Revenge something because it's still we're trying to qualify exactly what this is. Sci-fi, supernatural, uh, high seas adventure, horror. What is this? Christmas movie. Throw it's it in there. I, yeah. You know what? I'll, I'll, it, just for pure categorization, I'll say, okay, fine. It's a Christmas movie. So we go right. down to the Bahamas. It's Christmas. Right. Michael is studying sea snails with his uh, first mate and friend, Jake, who's played by Mario Van Peebles. Yes, um, coming in. I love Coming it. in. Uh, it, the, the first time we see them, I thought it was weird because Jake's, Jake is communicating with Michael via radio. Yeah. But when you hear his voice, it's like the Little Mermaid. They're like, <laughs> they yeah. filter it through the water as if he was yelling into the water like Aquaman. Will you stop farting around? That that's what that's just add another question to Jaws the Revenge in general. There's a lot of them, but it's like how it's like it's almost like the 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 playing with the friends in the treehouse where it's like the cup with the string and he's talking <laughs> yes. into it. It's just that he's hoping that he can just get to and how close is he too? I mean, because it feels like if he's in this little submarine studying snails. I don't know. It just didn't seem like it made a lot of sense. Um, well, I but- get it if there's if there's a radio involved, but it's I just feel like they had to sell the fact that he was underwater. Other than we see that he's underwater, they're like, right. well, they're not going to buy this movie unless we filter this audio so that you hear him as if you're also underwater. Yeah, I guess so. It was really well, yeah, fun. So Jake yells at Michael for leaving to go to his brother's funeral. You go away, you leave me high and dry. Do all the work by myself. You come back acting like a zombie. It's Christmas Eve. We're working overtime because of you. Is it, how random is the first meeting with Mario Van Peebles' character is that he is a jerk? He really is. I mean, it's like Mike Brody flies home to be with his mother who just lost their brother's son, who obviously lost the father, who's a town hero, to a heart attack sometime before. And this guy's really upset at him for it. I mean, there's that really funny that they almost get in a fight, and then he gives him a look, and then he almost throws him in the water, and they're fine again. It just was weird. <laughs> yeah, it's a very interesting <laughs> dynamic between it. It really is. It really is. So we have, uh, we have Ellen Brody there. We have Michael Brody. And then, of course, the shark shows up. Um, psychically, as we know, Ellen knows the shark is near. Yeah, oh yeah, she does. So let's let's meet our 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 the main character whom we have not spoken with. Well, there's a few. There's Michael's right. wife, Michael's who, wife, uh, Carla. You have their daughter Thea, uh, mm-hmm. and then we have Hoagie, who is played Hoagie. by Michael Caine, the great Michael Caine, the local pilot slash degenerate gambler. One time, I was flying supplies up the Amazon when I came down in the jungle. I was picked up by this tribe of headhunters. <laughs> right. And That's probably running drugs too. Let's be real. He, there's an intimation <laughs> that he was definitely running drugs. What do you do when you're not flying people? I deliver laundry. 
Michael Caine, who, by the way, did not accept his Academy Award for Hannah and her sisters because he was filming this movie in the Bahamas. That is a that is a very true story. That is a true story. Now, there's a Michael Caine, a bit of a Michael Caine. I don't want to call it a myth, but I've read this quote from Michael Caine before. Right. Where when they ask when he's asked about Jaws, the revenge, the quote is, I've never seen it, but from all accounts, it's absolutely terrible. But I've seen the house that it bought me uh, and it's beautiful. Yep. And I. I was trying to find that clip and I actually cannot find, I've seen it quoted as him saying it many times before, like Michael Caine said this, but I've never found the original sourced comment uh, of him saying that. However, Uh I think that he may have actually said it because I found something very similar in a much more recent interview for with Ooh. Michael Caine. So this makes me think that the the, the legendary Michael Caine quote about seeing the house that this movie bought him uh, is true. Uh, this is what I... It's actually a little bit sweeter, too. This is what I found from Michael Caine. Sometimes I'd, I'd do a bad movie and and, and uh, I'd get criticized for it. I said, but it, it's a bad movie, but you should, should have seen the house it bought for my mother. You know, <laughs> it was beautiful. That's almost the same quote. It's 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 almost verbatim. So yes. maybe maybe it it got lost. It's like telephone, and yes. he bought his mother a house, and I you should have seen that, and that's maybe why he did it. I mean, I, that's, I think the attribution got lost, but I think yeah. that that I think it's very likely that he actually said the famous quote about uh, not having seen Jaws, but seeing the house that it bought him. So he's a pilot. There's a there is, and actually, and I think Michael Caine said that this was something that drew him to the movie. There is an age appropriate romance between Hoagie. And uh, Ellen Brody, that's completely dropped in the third act when the shark shows up. But for a while, it's kind of a nice story. You could cut the shark out of this movie altogether. And it's kind of a sweet story about a a widowed, uh, grieving mother who finds a second life in the Bahamas. It's almost like the house Stella got her groove back of shark movies. You're you're not wrong. I yeah. It it probably would have served the movie in general better to cut the shark out. Now that I'm thinking about it, but yeah. Because there's a nice scene where Michael Caine is putting all of his acting into it, where she's saying, I have felt the shark, the shark. I feel it. It, it like she's basically telling this man that she's never met before, you know, that this shark thing is happening. And he even says, he's like, sometimes it's better to talk to a stranger. And they're walking back and forth on the water. And I'm like, God, but and it really occurred to me. I'm like, God bless you, Michael Caine. You are making this scene work. Well, I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm. Just saying that maybe there are other possibilities. The second act is kind of a it's kind of a slog. It's kind of a just a there's a first act and then some stuff and then we get to act three. Um, yeah. There's a scene where Michael uh, and his wife do it in the garage with the door open and the guy right outside the window. Shut the door. Uh-huh. Later. <laughs> <laughs> mm. It's you know he, he like five minutes later we cut and he he's like they're having uh, sex in there. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's definitely a couple boning in that in that shed with the door open. I know. Oh, there they are. I see them. Yeah, you got to close the door, guys. There's and then from time to time the shark will pop up and say hello. Uh, there's there's a hilarious shot of the shark going back underwater and it looks. It looks like the tight. It's it's so slow. It looks like the, it's like there should be a miniature uh, version of the orchestra playing "Near My God" to the. It's just <laughs> slowly descending into the ocean. It's like that's the shot you put in, right? And you, it's like you can see the track almost. You can see it's like, <laughs> and it just goes under. And you're like, that's why Verna Fields was so great, you know. <laughs> It's like, there are there are shots apparently I heard because they shot the film and cropped it for widescreen. Mm-hmm. I've heard that there was the TV version in the in the UK. They didn't crop it, and you can see the track under the shark, like during the big chase scene. Oh God! You can yeah. just see it plain as day, just coming out of its stomach. <laughs> yeah. Well, it goes back to that. You know, there oh, is that duct tape. Yeah. No, okay. No, definitely duct tape. So we get to the third act. Carla's sculpture is being unveiled. She's she's a she's a welder and she's been commissioned to do this sculpture about the Bahama. And and you know, there was a thing where I almost felt like when they unveiled it, Ellen Brody gives it this very odd look. Almost like it was some kind of like a cursed, like a totem, like it summoned the shark there somehow. Yeah. Maybe that goes back to the voodoo curse you were talking about. I feel like there's something there, and I and maybe I put that in my head. I felt like there was more emphasis on that sculpture and Ellen. 
previously, but it really, but then it just kind of passed us by on this rewatch for me. I was like, oh, it's just kind of there. That sculpture yeah. was supposed to conjure the jaws. It had that kind of feeling, but they kind of just. And what is it there for? I mean, I, I get it. It's it's to a tr- it's 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 a it's about tourism. She calls it uh, tourist on the loose. Local government commissioned it. It's for the public beach. Whether yeah. or something. I don't know. It's something and it's fine. Oh it's god. Fine. Which leads to the, the, the greatest probably moment of the movie, I think, which is the uh what the banana boat scene. The banana boat, yes. So Carla's Carla's sculpture's being unveiled. This is where it gets a little muddled because there's a lot of things in the screenwriting that I'd go, come on. Like one, the mother is freaking out about a shark eating essentially the family saying yes. that the, this there's a sh- there's a giant shark after us yes mike and, yes. and i'm having these visions yes and then they see the shark in the bahamas and Multiple they're like you know, don't tell her do me a favor will you don't don't say anything about this to my mom they're scientists aren't they this we're is getting huge. on a plane we're we're getting out of the bahamas we're getting away from this like gene siskel said we're moving to, to we're moving to fargo north dakota right and that's it we're done that would be the end of it from if I knew that there were I mean, I, in general already, I'm scared to death of sharks. Yes. But if I As knew that. I. a sh- Yes. And if, if I knew that a shark now was like had it in for me and like wherever I went would appear, it's like, yeah, I'm going to middle America. There's not going to be any. I'm not I'm not even going near a lake because no. this shark would figure it out. There'd be tributaries or something. They'd figure it out. Yeah. No, yeah. just just run. Can I go to the banana boat? She's with her mother. Thea, uh, in the middle of her mother's big career moment, decides she wants to go play in the water. And her mom's like, yeah, sure, whatever. Uh, I know. All this shark action happening. Go in the water. She she gets on the banana boat. And this, to be uh, for a while, this was my second favorite Jaws movie when I was a kid. Because you I, saw the shark a lot. I can understand. This is why the same little Riley was like, yes, yeah. Why is everybody laughing this time? It's personal. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I actually thought this was like the coolest scene ever because the shark, like you could see the shark eating somebody like yeah. the, the ladies, like right in the, in the shark's mouth. Yeah. Um, as an adult, you see the very clear uh, mechanical constraints of the shark, which is that it could tilt up it's and come out it. of the water at an angle and it could open its mouth. And yeah. that's about it. It was obviously incapable of doing anything. They fed Robert Shaw to a thing 12 years earlier. Yeah. Very and realistically. It, and it looked amazing. And it was scary. And the right? This was. Uh, Did they it, take the shark out of the theme park? Did it, they just use it like in between different it rides? Feels that way. Through? It looked, yeah, it looked like it seriously looked like the tram went through <laughs> and then they, and then production came in and made it look like the Bahamas. And then they went, go! It reminds me of a, a slight diversion here, but w- I think when Jaws was maybe coming out on Blu-ray or when it was the 40th, I don't know, one of the anniversaries, they mm-hmm. had, an, and I understand it, they had the idea to interview like Carl Gottlieb and Joe Alves and everybody who uh, about the film in front of, like not on the tram side, but on the back side of the Jaws attraction at Universal Studios, California. Right. Which... It's great. Cinematically... It's- is a great idea, the backdrop mm-hmm. and everything. But in practice, I was yeah. trying to find one of these interviews to put in here. Every time, like they'll be telling a really fascinating story about like Carl Gottlieb will be in the middle of uh, this <laughs> incredible uh, story about the making of Jaws. And then right behind his head, you just see these flamethrowers go off, just go. Yeah. And then you see the shark come up behind and he's trying to talk and like behind him, there's like the shark coming up and down, coming up and down as the tram goes by. So it almost became, it seems like it was almost like a, uh, it feels almost like an exercise, you know, like when you just read about it on paper. But my favorite thing is after that, you see the part you're not supposed to see and you just see the shark going in reverse behind him and going back underneath the water. It is one of the funniest things I I can't fault them for doing it. I get the intention behind it, but in execution, maybe not the best idea. So the shark almost eats the kid. Almost eats the kid, yep. Um, Carla is very upset that she wasn't told. Where's my mother? Your own daughter? Where is my mother? Why didn't you tell us? Where's Jake? Why didn't you tell us? 
but apparently gets over that immediately because it's never <laughs> referred to why she she this 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 massive betrayal and she's right to feel betrayed from her husband is never mentioned again because um, no. he runs off to go and get uh, his mother who has stolen his boat right and is now going to confront the shark in some way talk to it I don't know what was her plan oh boy I don't know what she was trying to do I think she was. I think maybe it was a it was a, a suicide mission. Maybe I I got a feeling that it was Ellen going. All right, I'm taking the shark out, and it's gonna and it's gonna be a long line of traditions that these sharks are taking out the entire Brody family. So I guess that's what she was trying to do because it really wasn't clear. I don't so think it was clear to her either. Michael and Jake are taking a little motorboat to go meet her. They they run across Michael Caine uh, waiting for the next heroin shipment to drop out of the sky so he can collect it and put it in his plane. <laughs> You're going after it, that You'll take all day in that bathtub. You got a better idea, man. So they take the plane. They land it in the wa- in the water. So he wrecks his wrecks his plane, um, which apparently is not his plane either. Right. And uh, he stole it. Literally, he talks about how he steals planes. He steals it. I like to travel. I'll nick the bus's plane again. Won't you get in trouble? Not if he doesn't find out. So they land the plane. The shark eats the plane. I assume. <laughs> Shark eats the plane. Yeah, Shark nice eats little, the plane. Nice little Jaws 2, Jaws 4 callback with the helicopter. I don't know. Yes, sure. There's a <laughs> small beat where we think that Michael Caine is, is dead. Mm-hmm. Uh, then he, but he swims over to the boat. And this is something else that Siskel and Ebert brought up in their review. Climbs out of the water completely dry. Completely dry. I, Not I've a never drop seen of it. water. I've never seen anything like it. It's and, and he says, "Boy, the breath on that thing!" And yeah. I'm like, "So he must have been secure in the mouth, uh, <laughs> dry." And then because the shark had a, a broken seam in the back, the duct tape fell off, and Michael came we came out and then climbed up. That's it. we figured it out here. That or I, I'm guessing maybe the shark ate him, and mm-hmm. he was like in the mouth, like the like the the photographer and yeah. part three. Yeah, uh, but dry somehow, and uh-huh. then the shark like he got stuck in the shark's throat, and the shark went like and threw him up onto the side of the boat, and so he oh, never that, actually touched the water. That works better actually, and would describe the breath uh, because of the throwing. Yeah, that works better. So yes. we figured that one out. So I'm glad Unreal. we're solving these mysteries one by one, Mark. <laughs> yes, we are. <laughs> so Michael Caine is alive and dry and on the boat. Now they're all on the boat. Jake is on the boat. Michael's on the boat. Ellen's on the mm-hmm. boat. Hoagie's on the boat. Slash Michael Caine. <laughs> Hoagie's on the boat. Hoagie's yeah. on the boat. So j- j- they decide that they're going to feed the shark something that with an electric charge. Bringing in ten on this, we got to slave you and just shock the hell out. Of right, you learning partner. That's yeah. going to drive it crazy. Yeah, from the inside. Right, and so Mario Van Peebles uh, feeds it to him and gets. We're going to talk about this this weird Mandela effect with the movie here. Mario right. Van Peebles feeds it to the shark and is attacked and dragged underwater. Right. And we'll leave it there. We'll have to come back to that. Put a pin uh, in that. And so they then are, are charging this thing. that looks like a camera flash and it's in the shark's belly and it drives the shark so crazy that it develops the ability to roar like a dinosaur. The shark roars, <laughs> roars, it which roars. is my fa- which is my favorite part of the movie for my fiance Julie, who went, did it roar? And I went, sure did. <laughs> it sure did. Multiple <laughs> times it roars. Multiple, Multiple times. times it roars. Um, yep. <laughs> but I guess that's probably the the most believable thing that's happened in the movie to this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if yeah. you're who's whose idea is that do you think do you think the sound designer is saying i, I think that that feels like a uh, sid scheinberg idea like make the shark roar it it could be and i want to say that isn't it the sound that was sampled that was put into duel like the screaming of the dinosaur that that was the metal as it as it it crashed at the end that that spielberg then used in jaws when the shark was going down in the original he played a little bit of it you can kind of hear it in the sound mix and now it's just 
full, right? Am, am I am I wrong? No, I, if, if it's not the same sound, it's very similar to that sound. It's, because, it's, yeah, yeah, Spielberg used this kind of primeval roar after the shark had died to kind of symbolize the passing of this great right, ancient Just, it's, being. It's very subtle in Jaws, the original Jaws, when the shark blows up and it's sinking, you can hear those. It's really neat, and it's really great. It's Spielberg at his best, you know, some of the things. And I thought maybe that could be like a little bit of an Easter egg, but it's so in your face. It's so just the shark roars now and it sounds like a dinosaur and you don't know why. Yeah. And at the same point, you don't know how the shark also is able to come out of the water off the tail like a dolphin. Right. Because it comes out go, like Roar! a 45 degree angle. Mm-hmm. And then, but, but the back half is underwater. So right. it's like it's like bending. It's like flexing at the dorsal fin somehow. I don't, um, yeah. Shark yoga? I don't know. Shark, shark yoga. Yeah, I, I think that works. <laughs> so this is where things get interesting. Because mm-hmm. Mark, correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah. But the first time you saw the movie, Ellen Brody steers the ship into the shark, mm-hmm. impales it. It bleeds profusely through the Bleed. mouth. Smile, you son of a bitch. Yep. Uh, and then uh, it takes the takes the front of the boat down, dies, takes the front of the boat down. And yep. then we crossfade to the airport where Ellen is going to live her life on Amity Island for right. forever, forever. That yeah. Now, is that the ending that you remember seeing in the theater when you watched the film? Correct. That is the, the original ending I saw. The the impalement, the uh, of course, cross cutting with, um, you know, the the. Chief Brody, smile, you son of a boom. You know, mm-hmm. of course, we have to get those flashbacks in here because. Well, can we skin it? Because Mara brought this up. Mm. As as this is happening, as as Ellen Brody is working up the will to impale uh, this uh, shark, she yeah. flashes back to two separate events that she did not witness, which would be the death of Sean and her husband killing the shark in the first movie, neither Thank of which you. she was there to see. Thank you. It's the one thing I've noticed on. Every rewatch, it's like, huh, she's never been there. How is this in her memory? And it's it's just so funny. It's so funny that it's like, but that's what's driving her to just take the boat right at it. And thank God it had the broken bow to mm-hmm. impale it. But to your, yeah, the original for me in theaters was bleeding, impaled jaws, breaking off, crossfade. And, and, and here we are. On so my now, rewatch, <laughs> I now and Sam Levine and I actually had this discussion as well. When I saw the movie for the first time on home video, she rams the boat into the shark. Yep, it explodes it's... for no reason. Smile, you son of a bitch. They cut in the same shot from Jaws where it sinks into the water. I, I, yep. Yep. And then Jake, who we saw being horrifically mangled and dragged underwater by the shark, pops up alive. He's He's, fine. He's just floating in the water, hanging out, floating in the water. What the hell are you doing alive, huh? I tell you, I tell you, Uncle Jake's equipment don't crap on it. And then we go to the airport. There's a very badly 80 yard line where Ellen Brody says, Take care of Jake. Take good care of Jake. I will. And then uh, she leaves as as it is in the original. Now, the interesting thing being that ending, which is not the original theatrical ending on my Blu-ray, is the ending to the movie. Really? Okay. The Blu-ray disc that I have for Jaws the Revenge has the shark exploding ending on it. And the theatrical ending that you saw is the alternate ending. So... We now live in a world where the ending that you saw is no longer the official ending to Jaws the Revenge. It's wow. the second one. And the original ending is now the alternate ending. Okay. Um, yeah, because on this rewatch, uh, which you can get Jaws the Revenge on HBO Max, if you uh, so desire, which is where I got it. And I watched it, and it's that ending. You can tell they're in the back lot. You know, there's the like the, the horrible horizon is just You can see right the waves there. crashing against the clouds. Against the, yeah, the against it's you, you've all if you've been on the universal tour you've seen this water tank area and it's so weird so yeah the, the the explosion why is that now the official ending 
it brings back Mario Van Peebles at least, and he's just floating in the water. I don't know how he did it, but he survived. A lot of people got out of the jaws of this shark, uh, Hoagie, and now <laughs> Mario Van Peebles. They have, <laughs> right? uh, they've managed to. So the shark, while it can, you know, find people better than the FBI, uh, apparently, um, it can't kill them as well as as we're led to believe not nearly as effective a killing machine as the previous iterations because <laughs> even the guy in the third one was dead he just had his arm hanging out with a grenade in it <clears throat> that's another great at one. least he was trying to get the yeah he was just like hey take <laughs> it don't worry i got you <laughs> um oh man i don't know why i i, I guess maybe people just like mario van peebles and they're like let's just trick everyone into thinking that jake survived yeah, there's really no rhyme or reason to it. Maybe they, I mean, maybe it's a classic Hollywood case of more explosions and they wanted, <laughs> you know, so they added in. But that makes they, no sense. There's nothing explosive anywhere. There's nothing explosive in the shark. There's nothing no. explosive on the boat. Nobody's no. carrying anything explosive. No. It's, it, unless Ellen Brody with her psychic powers this is where made it, yep. the shark explode with her mind. I think that's more what happened, to be honest with you. I think that if we – walk with me here, Dan. Okay. We have been all the way back to, like, how, right? So the yes. question was how this shark. And that by the time the shark figures out that Ellen's going to the Bahamas, that the shark either from casually on the side of the ferry listening, but we can assume that it was it knew because they were telepathically linked, so it went down there, supernatural shark – Therefore, Ellen mm -hmm. connected, used her mind, explodes shark. Ellen's a Jedi. The shark is sentient, capable Definitely of understanding, it. comprehending human speech. Yep. And thus how I was able to track Ellen uh, uh, to the Bahamas. Correct. And that Ellen Brody is a Jedi Knight. Correct. I mean, I think that's the where you would go with this. I think it's obvious, and yeah. um, I think it's I think it's in the text of this movie. I really do. I think, I, it's I think there. if you look hard enough, it's definitely there. <laughs> so the final insult, really, the final <laughs> insult, and I've never noticed this. Mara actually, we were watching it. She said, "Wait, roll roll that back, roll that back." I was like, "Okay." Oh. Remember when he talked about uh, Mrs. Kentner being in the movie? Uh huh. In the end credits for the film. As it's rolling through the cast, it says Mrs. Kinter. They couldn't even get the. If that oh. is not a metaphor for what this movie does to the original Jaws, I don't know what is. It's like you you go back, you bring something back from the first movie, but you just can't get it right. And uh, yes, Mrs. Kinter. Mrs. Kinter. Oh, yes. come on. I mean, we just witnessed Kanye peeing on a Grammy. That's what this is. You know, that's what. <laughs> This, this is the what... final ultimate insult to the Jaws franchise, which it oh, killed, by the way. Killed the it, franchise. It did. It killed it completely. Um, you probably know better than me on what this thing did in theaters. I can't imagine anything good. Honestly, it made like $50 million. Oh, Lord. Are you kidding me? That's... Like, it wasn't a huge moneymaker, but like, no. it was not a horrific flop. Wow. Okay. Nor was Jaws 3, by the way. I mean, well, yeah, I figured as much because, you know, <laughs> otherwise you wouldn't get Jaws 4, the revenge. Yeah, but that's true. It's oh, that's amazing. I, I can't believe it. Yeah, those those movies were a piece of I mean, you said it, though. It was your second favorite one because uh, because the shark, you know, yeah, there was there was a huge period in my life, Dan, that Jaws 2 was the greatest movie of all time. You know, I would go into the 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 ma and pa shop that I would go to, which was this video store. Um, Paul was his name with that would help us. And I'd go, which movie was it with Jaws that he was this, 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 and this. And he go, Oh, it was the original. And then I'm walking out and I see the, the, the Jaws two one. And I went, no, it's that one. And then I started doing it for Jaws three and Jaws of revenge. There was something about those movies that were just special in those times. But this one though, Oh boy, this one really falls apart. It, Jaws two and Jaws three, even I can hang with this one's hard. Yeah, Jaws 3 I have not watched a lot. I haven't seen it in a while. I've watched it a lot, but not in a while. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this I haven't one seen is just, This one is just uh This one's just rough. This it's hard. rough. It, it's hard to get through. Even, you know, it's the, the guilty movie pleasures and when they're so bad they're good. I mean, this is just so bad. 
And uh, I mean, we we could riff on it on like how and why and the supernatural Jedi, all that kind of stuff. But really, it's like, I mean, Siskel and Ebert's review was more enjoyable. Yeah. Let's just watch that again. Hang on. Yeah. Let's gonna roll that clip again because that's roll that clip again. Let's roll that clip in this movie. This shark wants revenge against the Brody family. You got it. Yes. Okay. Now, in the first movie, what happened to the shark in the first movie? Dead. Blown to pieces, right? Yeah. What happened to the shark in the second movie? I know. Dead. Yeah, right. Uh huh. What happened to the shark in they the third movie? They all die. They all die. So in that case, their family. What shark is this? A friend of the other shark. Is this like a cousin, a nephew? You got it. A next door neighbor. And you know what's so great? What? You see, by having this gimmick, that means that even though this one dies, she still is going to stay living in that stupid town instead of moving to the Middle West where she should be, away <laughs> from sharks. Gene Siskel's my favorite in that. He's just, you got it. Yeah. You got it. You He's know, dead. You know it. He's dead. He's dead, dead again. He's yeah. Dead. Went back. I get it. Move on. It was obvious. Oh, so oh boy. Well, Mark. We did it. Well, we we, got, we, we did got it through Charles' revenge, and we now neither it. of us will ever have to watch it again. We 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 did it, so you all don't have to. And, exactly. Uh, yeah, yeah. It is one of those things, but you know, it might be what if you are if you're curious. There's a movie called Jaws: The Revenge. There is. There is a movie called Jaws: The Revenge, and uh, it's a movie. It's a movie. Yes, it has credits. <laughs> <laughs> it has credits. Improperly spelled, but credits nonetheless. <laughs> yeah, improperly spelled or otherwise. <laughs> uh, Mark Riley, thank you so much for, My pleasure, for man. hanging out and talking Jaws with me. Oh. Uh, this this show is this is this is our fourth episode, and uh, we're trying we're trying lots of different kinds of formats. So yeah. it's kind of fun just to hang. This is just kind of the hang format. This is just the I, hang and talk about the movie format. Yeah, well, I'm I'm honored to be asked. Uh, I love talking Jaws. I mean, I know that's one thing, a big connection we have. We love that movie, and we love Spielberg. I mean, let's be real. But this movie, oh, boy. But I, so fun being here with you. Picking this one apart is really kind of fun when you talk about writing and, like, seeing the duct tape on the shark and all that. It, this was great, man. Thank you for, for having me. Honored to be here as your fourth guest. Honored to be considered behind Michael Caine. That's right. You will yeah. always be my second choice from behind Michael King. Yes, I'll take it. <laughs> Thanks, Mark. Thank you, Dan. I want to thank Mark for sitting and talking about this movie with me for such a long time. Uh, it is always so great to talk about, even if we don't like the movies, to talk about Jaws or any franchise with a fellow fan of that franchise because there's almost an unspoken language. There's like a code that you have between you, uh, you know, a shorthand. You can reference two or three or characters. We can talk about Mrs. Kentner and we don't have to explain who Mrs. Kentner is. It's just so much fun to talk Jaws with Mark. We've done it several times before and I love talking about this movie with him as well. Before we go, I do want to break down what is on this disc, and it's not going to take long because it's not a whole heck of a lot. This wasn't this wasn't issued on Blu-ray until a few years ago, and it's a very bare-bones disc. It's just, uh, as I mentioned, I like this art, and I like that they kept the original art for this Blu-ray. One of my pet peeves is when they issue a Blu-ray and it's got new art, which, by the way, they do with the original Jaws all the time. I don't think I've gotten a Blu-ray or 4K copy of Jaws that has the poster art from Jaws, the best poster art of all time, actually on the Blu-ray. Ironically, you have to go to the far inferior sequels to keep the poster art for a Jaws film. Uh, But yeah, it's pretty simple, pretty bare bones. It's a one disc edition. You got the movie on there. As far as special features go, you have the theatrical trailer with the, as we talked about, one of the best slash worst taglines of all time. This time it's personal. And you have the alternate slash original ending on there in HD. So I do like that they at least remastered the original ending for HD. So you've got both. If you want to play amateur editor and recreate your original experience watching Jaws the Revenge in theaters, you can go back and cut that uh, cut the new ending out, put the old ending in, and screen it that way. But that is it. That's all you get as far as extras. But really, I, I mean, honestly, I would love... I would love a documentary about the making of Jaws the Revenge, but I think it would require candor and time from a lot of folks who, quite frankly, uh, I'm sure have better things to do uh, with their time. So uh, maybe one day we can get a Never Sleep Again style 
feature-length documentary about not just the making of Jaws, which they are, there's already one called The Shark is Still Working, which is uh, an incredible documentary about Jaws, the first film. Uh, but I would like to say a similar one about the making of the sequels. Uh, sadly, a lot of folks can't speak to them because they're not here anymore, uh, but I, I would still be interested in that. Uh, but, but absent that, it's about what you would expect, which is not much from the disc, but it's got the movie on there, and it's in HD. The print's not bad, so uh, no complaints uh, on that front for me. Uh, and really, what more do you need to add to Jaws the Revenge? The movie speaks for itself, as does the shark. So that wraps up this episode of All My Movies. Like I said, it's a little bit different than the other episodes, but I hope you enjoyed it nonetheless. And we're going to keep doing this. We're going to keep, you know, shaking it up. Obviously, when I can get a great guest like Mark Riley or a great guest like Alex Winter or D. Wallace, we'll talk about the movies then. You may be here with me as we do a deeper dive, but really at the core of it is reliving these movies, reliving our attachment to them, our memories of them, and why we love or hate the movies that we love or hate. Thank you so much for going on this journey with me. And don't forget, you can still pick up for a limited time goat merchandise like this coffee mug here on my desk. Uh, there are shirts, there are hats, there are pullovers and hoodies. Anything that you want, you can get them, but not for very long because they're not going to be available for too much longer. So get that goat merchandise while you can. Of course, I've got my always disclaimer, which is I'm not saying I'm the goat. I'm just saying you can buy stuff that says goat on it and support whoever you think the goat is. So uh, please pick that up while you can because you're, you're going to regret not doing it if you don't get it in time. And thank you so much for watching the show. Please tune in next week. This is the beginning of a very spooky month on all my movies because as Halloween approaches, we're going to be covering uh, some of the most famous and perhaps infamous horror movies of all time. Jaws the Revenge being one of them. I can't wait to break down some of this stuff with you and welcome some very special guests to the show. And I hope you'll join me as well. Thanks so much. I'll see you next time. Accelerated Bachelor of Science in Nursing program from Marion University lets you earn your nursing degree in as few as 16 months of professional nursing study. Visit our ABSN learning site and learn how our nursing skills and simulation labs give you hands-on experience. We offer tours every month. Find out how you can apply your bachelor's degree in any field toward Marion's accredited nursing degree program and a rewarding new career. Search Marion ABSN today. When facing a family law matter, it can feel like an overwhelming and never-ending court process. It's vital to know that things will look better on the other side if you hire legal counsel with the skill and compassion to help. It's Stangy Law Firm. We represent clients in difficult family law matters every day. Visit FamilyLawRepresentation.com to schedule your consultation. That's FamilyLawRepresentation.com. Stangy Law Firm, here to help you rebuild your life. Stangy Law Firm has an office in Wichita. Kirk Stangy, 120 South Central Avenue, Suite 450 Clayton, Missouri.